Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. It is all good. Welcome to church. I'm Bam. I love Jesus. We're going to read from Mark. So this is in uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 2, directly after Jesus asked Peter and his disciples, who do people say that I am and who do you say that I am? Peter confirms that you are the Christ. You are the one um, son of God. And this is one of these intense passages um, that's considered to be a a cornerstone miracle or a cornerstone event in the gospel in line with the birth, resurrection, burial, crucifixion of Jesus. It's one of those moments where all of the prophecies from the Old Testament just seem to come crashing into a moment. And I think sometimes we can be very critical of the disciples, the way they reacted, but imagine being experiencing these stories that we're reading about, and you're in the middle of them, and you don't know how it's going to work out. You are just reacting to the stimulus that you have in front of you and seeing these amazing, glorious miracles happen right in front of your eyes. Of course you're going to say stupid stuff. You know, of course things are going to be like, you know, come out a little crazy. So in Mark 9... Starting at 2. And then he said to them, I'll start at 2. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no laundry on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Amen. Because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid, and a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Suddenly when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. Now as they came down from the mountain, He commanded them that they should tell no one the things that they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, saying, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered, saying, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things and houses written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things. But I say to you that Elijah has also come, and they did to him whatever they wished, as it was written. This is the word of the Lord. Um, Something that's written in such few words is is really astounding to see someone who is shining like the sun, and it recalls the verse in Malachi 4, that the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. He is right before his disciples. He's taking them with him up to this mountain, and they're meeting the the big guys of the Hebrew Jewish religion. 
they're meeting like the biggies. I guess, yeah, biggies. <laughs> Moses and Elijah. Moses representing the law, representing the Torah. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. Um, and he helped lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And it's, it's got to be a little bit astounding to see them transfigured in front of you. It wasn't just Jesus who became the shining, exceedingly white. They're also seeing these figures that they have worshipped and prayed and like read about for so long before their eyes. And not only that, the person that they call their mentor, their rabbi, is talking with them, meaning that he is on level ground with them. We know that Jesus came to fulfill the law. Moses representing the law and Elijah representing the prophets. They were these um, signposts that a new dawn was, a new age was dawning. And it was that Jesus had become the new tabernacle. He had fulfilled the law. He had done all that his father had for him to do as he's beginning to walk to the cross. And I love this passage because it's like, it's all about glory. It's all about this overwhelming thing that I bet you if I polled everybody in here and asked you, what do you think glory is? Everybody would have a different answer. Uh, glory is, I don't know, when you're accepting an award or glorious praise or Glory is a feeling. Glory is the presence of God. Glory is Jesus. Glory is a bright light. Glory may be the children of Israel and the pillar of cloud, or maybe it's the pillar of fire, or maybe it's the uh, multiplication of food. Maybe it's just an overwhelming something that you can't put words to. What is glory? I think glory is goodness. It is the overwhelming goodness of God that can only leave you speechless, or weeping, or in awe. This morning, we had a crazy storm. I think that's the closest that we come to seeing, experiencing the power of God. I think that physically, this world is very good at dumbing down how, how powerful he is. I think it happens to history figures sometimes, too. You ever notice how people who are very radical in their day have a tendency to become domesticated as time goes on? Like Martin Luther King is like a really just a nice guy you want to have over for dinner? When he was really hated by a large part of the population, he was a radical in his time. Jesus was very radical. Time has a tendency to domesticate the way we look at them. And I think the same thing has happened to God. He is a powerful, powerful God. He is trying to understand him is a, trying to wrap your arms around lightning. It is, it is trying to squeeze thunder in between your ears. This is what it's like to attempt to understand God. Yet and still, he makes himself into Jesus so that we can understand him fully God and fully man. That's just astounding to me that he continues to stoop down so that his goodness can be presented to us in a form that we can somehow understand. His glory is his goodness. His overwhelming good will that he has for us and good plans and purpose that he has for us. I love it how 
we can read the Bible and it just becomes like this nice little, you know what I'm saying, Netflix movie or something. I mean, there are a lot of Netflix movies about the Bible, but <laughs> the Bible is a, is a culture of encounter. Jacob wrestling with God. Joseph having these dreams and having these interpretations of dreams. It's this like crazy, amazing, I, I mean, it, to movie, call it a movie would be to, to make it really small. It is a lot of encounters that God has with people, and this is available to us. His goodness is available to us every single moment to experience. So why don't we experience his goodness more than we experience his anxiety? I don't know. What am I doing wrong? I've accepted Christ in my heart, yet and still, I don't understand what his glory is. I don't, haven't been overwhelmed in his presence before. I haven't even cried in his presence before. What's going on? But I think Jesus is laying out a roadmap for us that has been confirmed and affirmed by the people who came before him. So in Exodus 33:18, Moses asks a bold question to God, and he says, show me your glory. Show me who you really are. In Hebrew, the name for presence is also the name for face. What do you really look like? You've been hiding in these, like, things that you do, and sometimes I can't tell if it's really you or if it's just a bad situation that I've decided to engage in. Um, but in Exodus thirty-three eighteen, he says, please show me your glory. And then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock, so shall it be while my glory passes by, that I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face cannot be seen. That's amazing. He says you can't see all of me. All of my goodness is overwhelming. And... So many times, prophets in the Bible, I think, are just getting like a little, huh, huh, you know, like, uh, like just li a little lifting of the veil over their eyes of the goodness of God personified in Jesus, concentrated in Jesus. Remember those frozen concentrates that you would make a picture of stuff with? <laughs> I mean, that's if you really had money, you use those. Otherwise, it was just the Kool-Aid, you know what I'm saying? That, that red. What flavor, what flavor Kool-Aid do you want? Red. It's not really a flavor. Yes, it is. All of his goodness is concentrated in Jesus, which is his glory, his goodness. He's gooder than we can imagine. But I think we, we think about that sometimes, and I've heard the phrase before, that God is in a good mood, you know what I'm saying? Like he's, he's a happy, jolly God, and then we, we feel like he can't get upset anymore. Jesus came and God has nothing to say about injustice anymore, or God has nothing to say about um, 
things, darkness that's going on in this world. And I think storms remind me of that too. They remind me that he's powerful and like, oh, this is okay. <laughs> All right. It's not every day is sunny and beautiful and wonderful and perfect and 78 degrees. And then in 1 Kings 19, we have the other person Jesus is talking to, Elijah, who has an encounter with the Lord. And he's in a bit of a different situation. He's running away from Jezebel and Ahab because he's afraid. <laughs> he's afraid, but he's just had all these wonderful encounters. Like, he's killed all the prophets of Baal. Like, he saw God come down and, like, completely obliterate an altar, Lightning that consumes an altar and everything on it, including the stones. That's power. I don't want, it's, it's, it's power. So he's running and he's hiding in a cave and he's by a ravine and he's getting bread supernaturally from an angel and he's be, being fed by ravens. And he ends up in this cave and, um, and God speaks to him. In 1 Kings 9 and 11, he says, go out and stand on a mountain before the Lord. So this is the same mountain that Moses encountered God in, Horeb. Go out and stand on a mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in a fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the Lord. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? I love when God asks you questions that he knows the answer to. <laughs> he just wants to see if you know the answer to it and if you're going to actually be truthful about where you are, your location. What are you doing here, man? I'm all alone is what Elijah replies. Anybody ever felt like that? <laughs> it's like me. I'm the only one. It's, I'm the first person to go through this, Lord. You need to show up right now. He's like, I'm the only one. I'm alone. He's like, chill out, man, okay? I got like 7,000 people who haven't bowed their knee to Baal. You are not alone. God once again showing his goodness to Elijah. In the midst of his fear and running away, saying, man, I'm gooder than you know. There's so much that is right under the surface. But it's so interesting when you juxtapose all these encounters together, Moses, Elijah, and now Jesus. Moses and Elijah... They ascended the hill of the Lord by themselves. They went there in different situations. God, show me your glory. I'm a friend of God. And even Elijah, they were these people who were held up as being this amazing like figure who knew God very closely. Jesus is going up with his homies. He's like, let's all go up there. Peter says, if you want to go back to the uh, first slide, um, the first slide in Mark. All right, go to the next one. 
And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was answering a question. It doesn't have the question in here, but it says, then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, is it, is it good for you to be here? So what was, what did Jesus ask him? He said, are you guys supposed to be here? Like, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like, He's unsure because every time that people ascend that mountain to have this kind of encounter, they're by themselves. And he's like, are you supposed to be here? I'm, you know, maybe I'm not sure. And Peter's like, it's all right, Jesus, we're supposed to be here. He didn't know what he was getting himself into. <laughs> he's just like, I'm going to say yes. Yeah, I'm going to say yes. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was attempting as well to bottle up this moment. But I love like that Jesus went up there with his homies like it was a community. It wasn't just the one man anymore going up to the hill and speaking to God and then speaking to everyone else. It was his closest friends that were ascending this holy hill of the Lord to all witness this, en this encounter. And say, this is a new way that God is doing things. Everybody gets to ride along. It's no more just his glory and his goodness is trapped in a certain amount of people. No, it is being shared with everyone who is so willing to answer, it is good for me to be here. It is good for me to be in your presence. It is good for me to experience your glory. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. Including Jesus being baptized in the River Jordan, and these, you know, doves are descending, and it had to be like the air really electric witnessing all this. And the pinnacle of these encounters is God saying, you're good. <laughs> This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And this is my beloved son. Hear him or listen to him. That pinnacle is the affirmation of God. His glory, which exists in his goodness, the concentration of his goodness is the affirmation of a loving God, of a loving God. Father, this is my son, which whom I am well pleased. So he's going up the mountain with this community in God's presence. Growing up in church, people used to stand up and say, you know, I want to give glory and honor to God for waking me up this morning in my right mind. <laughs> Like, I don't really know what that means. But <laughs> Waking me up in my right mind, you know, I got clothes on my back, shoes on my feet, food on the table. I just want to give glory and honor to God. And I started thinking, after reading this passage, I started thinking, can we give glory to God, though? I mean, I think we can prove him before other people and, and represent Christ. But can I give the, even the level of goodness that he's given to me back to him? But oh, am I going to try? Oh, am I going to attempt 
to give him all honor and glory in my life. His goodness, that when we see it, we're affected by it. All we can do is reflect it back to him. I think Moses and Elijah were getting a glimpse of this future glory, concentrated goodness that was in Jesus. And it was so overwhelming that God is like, you can't even look him dead in the face. <laughs> look me dead in the eye right now. <laughs> Moses couldn't even do that. He had to see his back. The son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. He was not alone. He rose, walked that mountain with community, with people. And at a certain point, he let God speak for him. I think in uh, the passage in Luke, you can see like God actually cuts Peter off. Like Peter's talking and he's like, hey, <laughs> This is my beloved son. He's like, man, I was saying something really wise. <laughs> you know when you're scared and you just start saying stuff? Knick-knack, patty-whack, one, two, three. <laughs> you're like, you don't know what you're saying anymore. <laughs> but it's cool just in his silence that he could let God speak for him. Experiencing his goodness is sometimes patience that will fight our battles better than we can. Just wait. Just wait, because God is not going to move you out of the way for a fight. He's not going to go through you. But I think that Jesus understanding that he didn't have to answer everything that people said. That's been very powerful for me as a parent, that I don't have to answer every question. <laughs> I feel the need sometimes to answer every question. But now I'm just like, with five different questions, you know what I'm saying? I multiply that by times, all the times in a day. Sometimes the best thing I could do is just be quiet, you know? Dad, what is the answer to this? I'm just like. Then they forget and then just walk away. <laughs> See, look, the Holy Spirit revealed it to him anyway. I didn't have to do anything. I think this, um, these counter, this encounter, this transfiguration, begs the question, what kind of encounter would it take for you to be radically obedient to God? What would he have to do to you to get his goodness to you? <laughs> and I think it, it may seem crazy and possible, but maybe you begin to form that. What, is it, what does that look like? Some people is like waking me up at 4 a.m. Maybe it'll be like really getting the answer to that prayer I've been praying for so long. But the greatest gift 
that God has given us is that phrase. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter. Affirmation. Think of all of the crazy, evil, diseased actions that comes from a lack of affirmation. From a lack of saying to somebody, you are loved, you are accepted, you are not rejected. People spend their whole lives pursuing this sentence. Their whole life trying to experience the glory of God, which is his goodness at some juncture. Begging to hear that. Maybe it comes, maybe it doesn't come. Jesus at these crossroads in his life, God felt the need to even say that to Jesus. How much more do we need to hear that? You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. Seeing his glory and goodness manifested in those very words. Because then you go, oh, I'm, I'm free to be who I am. I don't have to pick this certain career so I can be in this certain crowd and get this certain acceptance. And then you realize you get to that crowd and the acceptance is not forthcoming. And then you start to think, what in the heck was I doing all this time anyway? And all it took was a sentence. And that sentence is, you are loved. You are accepted. You are validated. Those words sinking deep inside of me did something to me. Namely, it made me not care as much anymore. <laughs> what people think. Yesterday I turned 38, which is, uh, which is basically geriatric for this congregation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I always tell my wife, I'm like, yeah, I can't wait to get older so I can say what I want to say. She's like, you already do that. <laughs> In Psalm 24, 1 through 6, it says, the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. The world and those who dwell therein. If you don't read any other Psalms, read this one. It's sick. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Who shall ascend the holy hill of the Lord, but he who has clean hands and a pure heart? Solitary for one person. Moses, clean hands, pure heart. Elijah, clean hands and pure heart. And God, Jesus leads his disciples up with clean hands and a pure heart. 
Actually, in 2 Peter, Peter calls this the holy hill, this moment, this mount of transfiguration where God is showing his favor and his blessing to those who seek his face, which is his presence. You know, as a kid, I couldn't remember my father telling me he loved me. Probably didn't happen until I told him when I was like 18 or 19. And now we say it all the time. But I remember there was a lot of times where I needed to know that. I think I knew it. He was a provider, spent a lot of time with me. But it never said those words, I love you. That is the crux of the struggle of so many people here on this earth, is hearing those words of affirmation, I love you. His glory and his goodness concentrates into those words. It's not some amazing, wonderful, floating in the air, ascending into the rafters, holding some peaceful lotus pose. <laughs> like the whole gospel terminates into Jesus and the Father's goodness and his glory terminates into that, into those words. I love you. You are beloved. In Proverbs 25 and 2, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search it out. God, I wish you would reveal all of your goodness to me. Reveal your glory to me. Show me your glory, God. I want to be overwhelmed in your presence. I want to experience what it's like to ascend that hill to be with you. And he said, you know what? That's why you have my son. That's why Jesus begins to come and live in our hearts because it is Christ in you that is the hope of glory. Christ in you, the goodness that is from God, which is his glory. Good outside of God is just a donut. Like It's, it's just like something that's like, on a taste bud, you know what I'm saying? It's like, all right, cool, that's awesome. The very substance of goodness is Jesus, the ultimate and final reveal. So now you go back into the past and you see Moses and Elijah looking forward to the hope of glory, seeing Christ, this overwhelming experience of him concentrating the goodness of God in one person. All of our hopes and our dreams terminate and are found themselves in Jesus. You want to come on up, worship team? Whether we admit it or not, we are all searching for approval. And That's something that only God can give to us. But I sure can pray. 
that you would hear that. By way of the Holy Spirit, we get to experience Jesus in his glory. If you feel like that's you, I want you to be courageous and brave and stand up, and I want to pray, read a scripture over you and pray a prayer um, of the affirmation of God's goodness. And that you would hear from him how much he loves you and how much you are approved. How much the concentrated goodness that is his glory is for you. Is there anyone else that needs to hear those words from the Lord? First Corinthians three, seven through eighteen is kind of a long passage, but trust me, it's worth it. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory for even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away is glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty and freedom. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So as the worship team begins to play, I'm going to go around and lay hands on everyone who's standing. Um, and just pray a prayer that you would hear those words of affirmation, that you would receive the revelation of 
God's glory and goodness in your life made for you. And afterwards, we want to invite you to come and take communion in a couple of minutes. Um, and this is a moment where we experience the true encounter with Jesus whose body was broken for us and whose blood was poured out upon the cross. But as it is broken, it is multiplied for each and every one of us.